Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie. Welcome to the 27th Mag Culture Podcast, the final episode of 2021. I'm at the Mag Culture shop where we're making final sales before closing for the Christmas break. It's been a busy time in the run-up to the holidays. We've been running our annual Christmas Cracker campaign in support of Shelter from the Storm. You've missed the raffle now, but you can still donate money when you buy a magazine online until the end of December. Or you can give money directly through our Just Giving page. Check our website for details. One thing we planned in the run-up to the holidays was a food-based event here at the shop. But again, the COVID uncertainties put paid to that. So instead, we've adapted that idea for this loosely food-themed podcast. We welcome three guests in this episode, though sadly not together. Their magazines cover cheese, chutney and wine. You get the idea. If there was a magazine called Turkey, they'd be joining us too. Instead, the meat of the episode is provided by Dan Keeling, one half of the team behind the magazine and wine bar Noble Rot. First up, though, we meet the people behind a couple of the new launches from 2021. Art director Holly Catford has worked on many, many magazines, including a stint with us at Mag Culture when we redesigned Noble Rock. I spoke to her about her new magazine, Cheese, the second issue of which is out now. Now, you're, you're down uh, at your Bristol base today, right? I'm at my house, actually, rather ah, okay. than my Bristol studio. And how is Bristol at the moment? It's fine. It's cold, like everywhere else. But it's, um, it's nice. It's getting Christmassy. Mm-hmm. I have... No complaints, really. You always seem to be very busy on one magazine or another. Uh, we're going to talk about cheese, which I think is just going to about to go to press. But what else have you been working on recently? It depends whether we're talking Esterson or freelance. With Esterson, we've just had an issue of I go to the printers. We're working on an issue of Pulp. Um, History Today goes to the printers on Wednesday, so day after tomorrow. Um, we've got an issue of Museums Journal going at some point, which I can't actually remember when that's <laughs> into the printers. Busy, busy. And then obviously we've just had an issue of Pit goes to the printers, mm-hmm. Cheeses goes to the printers. I've got another recipe book that I'm doing. I think that's it at the moment. Well, it doesn't sound like you're going to have much for Christmas. You're just going to be working. No, everything, everything apart from the other recipe book is all going to be done before Christmas. I'm glad to hear it. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of magazines there, and you, and you define you, you obviously keep them in kind of two different camps. There's the there's your work with Simon Eston uh, and his company doing I etc. And then there's Pit and Cheese. Yeah. Do the two sides of what you do do they work very differently? I mean, do, do you see them differently? Or I mean, really, the main difference is when Simon looks at the PDFs, he goes, "Well, Holly, this is your magazine," or please, can you change this? Because <laughs> um, he does look at everything just because uh-huh. he's got a very good um, proof as I and I like. Of course. Well, I just respect his opinion massively on everything mm-hmm. that I do. Um, I mean, the sort of tones of voice of what what I do on the two different things are very are quite different. Um, but they still have kind of my stamp on them quite a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And I use the same um, processes, if you can call it a process, because, I mean, it's me designing everything. So, but no, not, I mean, not really. It's more It's more whether I do it during the week or I do, <laughs> or I do it in the evenings and weekends or at uh-huh. seven o'clock in the morning, which is my new favourite uh, <laughs> time to work. <laughs> But, but on, onto Cheese magazine, specifically, seeing as how that's that's what this theme is built around, and on this on this particular episode of the podcast, I love Cheese. I mean, I really love it. Um, yeah, I'm torn between the excitement about 
this magazine about cheese in the sense that really, is there enough cheese to keep filling its pages? I think so. I mean, the thing is, is like we've started thinking at actually is is tofu cheese. Oh. And I, I, I kind of think, I sort of think it is. And so you can, <laughs> you can get quite conceptual with this. And the editors are quite conceptual editors. That's what everyone said about Pitt, though. So mm-hmm. look at yeah. it now. And, and, and how many issues of Pitt has there been? We've just published number 11. And yeah, we've, exactly. We've got a plan for the next three. Mm-hmm. We've, got too, we've got too many ideas, basically, for Pitt. Pitt being the magazine of food and fire. <laughs> not barbecue <laughs> magazine. <laughs> I, di- I didn't even say barbecue, but um, I guess in, in a way, it's a, it's a bit it's, it's a familiar kind of idea from so many of the sort of independent magazines. You take this subject and you and you spin off, and and, and I'm not convinced by tofu, but <laughs> uh, you, you can't you, you you kindly sent me a, a, a PDF of the new issue uh, of of cheese issue two, and and it definitely is sort of. Obviously, there are che- there's cheese and cheese dishes. There's poutine. Where's that from? It's Canadian. And then there's specific cheeses and and, and stories of the background of cheese. But then there's also there's a, there's a fabulous kind of a pictorial um, escapade around cows. Yeah, I think I've sort of through doing cheese, I've kind of got quite obsessed as an art director with cows. All of a sudden, <laughs> I think actually it's a sort of cheese slash cow magazine, really. Yeah, it's just it's cows, cows through the ages, or the art of the cow, um, which is written by Eleanor Mills, who is actually the deputy editor of Museums Journal, which is how I know her. So she's mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. And all I it was I actually commissioned that one, um, and all I did was message her on WhatsApp, being like, "Do you think you can um, write like twenty captions on cows in art through the ages?" And she was like, "Yes, here are my choices. Please go and buy the pictures." So that does that does uh, give you that extra kind of leeway to spread out into some quite far, you know. It's it's not we're we're not talking about a magazine that is simply there's this cheese, there's that cheese, this is another cheese. I kind of feel that food magazines like that have been done, and the thing I mean, cheese especially, even more than pit is is commissioned through people contacting us and pitching, and food writing especially I think is. I mean, it's kind of my little specialist niche in magazines anyway, but food writing at the moment is just the most fascinating type of writing to me. I mean, there's publications like Vittles, it's a newsletter, which is £5 a month run by Jonathan Nunn. And it's just it's just the most amazing writing that I think there is out there. And luckily... We have two different, well, I have two printed magazines to work on which get to publish features like that. The way you're talking about it there, you're uh, as involved in, in the commissioning and editorial choices as you, are, as you are in terms of positioning and designing. Yes. I mean, this issue, I mean, Anna and Apora were um, are very patient with me because I mean when we first started doing the project Anna rang me up and I said to her I was like well I would love to design this magazine but you need to be prepared that I have opinions on the words as well as just the pictures and this issue especially they sent me all the copy and I sort of read through it looked at everything and I was like visually this doesn't have enough stuff in it essentially and so I kind of went off 
and found some sort of visual pieces and said, please, can you write some features to go with these pictures for me? <laughs> um, which they which they very diligently and brilliantly did. So mm-hmm. it's a, it is a very collaborative thing. Which actually leads on to, to my, my next question. We've established that uh, there's more to cheese than just cheese, but even even if we look at uh, uh, the world of cheese, it's not the most. I mean, I, you know, as a cheeseaholic of, of many years standing, <laughs> I have to admit that not all cheese isn't the most attractive necessarily. You know, on the page it doesn't photograph particularly well, and that must be always be a challenge. Is how do you, how do you bring this stuff to life with a lot of illustration, especially kind of the the thing of launching a magazine in lockdown as well meant that there's. I mean. There's about 10 shoots for cheese that I've tried to organise, which just haven't been able to happen. Um, so it's a lot of illustration and kind of a lot of call outs and saying, does anyone want to draw some pictures of cheese for me? And I found some amazing people from doing that and some really good illustrators that have been up for having a bit of fun with it. But it's also, it's a way of getting some humour into it as well, because a cheese magazine could be, it could be very serious. I am excited because that's that's the real difference for me working on the two of them is because they're, they're organised in a very similar way where I'm the kind of art director founder working really closely with the editors who sort of haven't really worked on a printed magazine in the same way before. So that's another thing, a big part of my role in both of them is kind of saying, are we putting full stops on the end of our captions? Someone needs to make this decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's that's quite funny working with the two of them is one where one is sort of on its 11th issue and one is on its second issue. But a lot of what I've learned from doing Pitt goes into mm-hmm. Of course. And and I think sometimes people overlook the fact that the detail, or the example of the detail you've just given, like, do you have full stops at the end of... of, of do you uh, even have captions? That's the one problem. Well, absolutely. That's my <laughs> obsession. It's like, there's a picture here. Who's in the picture? Where is it taken? Why is it there? That's, so that's, uh, that's uh, magazines as a whole, and I will. Uh, I but, will but, 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 but with those kind of details, do, do, you know, again with those two, well, well, across all the magazines you work on, do, do, do they all have different quirks there? Do they? Do some people? Is one editor completely obsessed about never having a, a, a full stop, and the other has to have one? Yeah, and I can never remember. So we'll sit there and we'll be doing final corrections. And someone will say, oh, we need to change that caption. And I'm sat there being like, I can't remember whether we have a full stop at the end of this caption or not. <laughs> because I've got, I've got eight different style guides in my head. And it's quite it's quite difficult to remember. But that's, I mean, that's another thing about working on commercial magazines and working on kind of my own published indies is that the kind of rigour you get from working on a magazine like I, for example... Um, even though it is an independent, but it's got the rigour of a real hardcore commercial magazine, is that I bring those things into pit and cheese. Absolutely. So the new issue of cheese will be out, will it be in time for Christmas or after Christmas now? That is exactly why I'm working like a maniac on it, because um, I think the last, it gets to newsstand in about a week and a half's time, which will be the before 
the last Christmas posting for the UK anyway? So it's it's likely then that for a lot of cheese readership uh, might not be able to see the magazine in time for Christmas. But what they can do for Christmas is have some cheese. <laughs> yes. First of all, where are you Christmasing? I am Christmasing in Ramsgate at my dad's house and it's actually our first Christmas in my dad's new house which uh-huh. I'm quite excited about so a, a bit of a family do yeah good and what what do you, uh, you, you have a, a big uh, mid-afternoon lunch or evening or what's the what's the schedule the Catfords are famously late for their Christmas dinner so the mm-hmm. plan is always that it will be kind of a late lunch but actually it's always it's always dinner at what point in the meal does the cheese arrive cheese for us at Christmas is actually normally kind of right at the end of the evening when everyone's half asleep in front of the TV mm-hmm. and my dad goes, anyone want some cheese? And we all go, yeah, we'll have some cheese. And the dogs actually get cheese on biscuits as well as we do. <laughs> I think I filmed it last year, actually. <laughs> Please see my... <laughs> So what cheese do you recommend then? I haven't even thought about our cheeses yet because I've been too busy doing Cheese the Magazine. Um, But Anna, the editor of Cheese, says um, that she's going to be having Monty's Cheddar, a Lancashire, Dawstone, um, Baron Bigod and Mm -hmm. a Stilton. A Stilton seems to be the one for Christmas, doesn't it? Oh, and a wash wash rind, probably a monster. Okay, that's that's a lot of cheese. (laughs) I mean, if you're the editor of the cheese magazine, you're going to have a big cheese board, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's the highlight of the year. Yes, indeed. Last question. We've talked about a lot of magazines you've been directly involved in, but um, is there any, any other magazine from the year that's particularly struck you as being kind of, I don't know, in some way a highlight or a representative of 2021? I think definitely my biggest highlight has been Jim. Mm-hmm. the new gym class um because of i mean i'm still because you're in it well not that's not why <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel i feel very um lucky that stephen thought that i should be in that magazine um but he said he was like oh what's what's your address i'm going to send you a copy and that was all the information i had and the door went and it was a tube and i was like well, what is this what is this tube and it's probably the only magazine i've ever received where i kind of screamed when i realized what it was cuz mm-hmm. it was just i had no idea it was going to be this huge amazing broadsheet size thing and the illustrations are amazing and all the other interviews are amazing mine is dubious but i just i just think it's it's just stephen all over i think it's absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. So uh, just in case, in case people missed that, that was uh, Stephen Gregor that used to do Gym Class magazine, which is the magazine about magazines. Suddenly, I mean, to, it's, it's, I, I received a role like that as well, cardboard tube, and, and it just it, it seemed to come from nowhere, but it's great to have it back. He's just done such a lovely job on it. And mm-hmm. I think his, his kind of new thing of his editorial illustration as well is, is yeah. brilliant. He's really talented and I desperately need to commission him. He should. You know, I spent ages looking at that magazine trying to work out who'd done the illustrations. These are really good. And at first I was thinking there must be must be one of the people he's interviewed or and then I realised it was Stephen. Exactly. I love kicking Kiev. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best Instagram handle I've heard. Um, and the other one that I'm actually really isn't just one issue that I'm really enjoying um, it's dazed and confused really? that Briar's doing, and I think he's doing an absolutely 
fantastic job. Um, and Esther, who used to work at Esterson with us, um, she's helping out on the printed editions. So I think, mm-hmm. I just think it's brilliant. I think they're doing such an amazing job. We had the latest issue come in recently, but it's, it's one of those issues, one of those magazines where it had a cover star on it, which meant that the magazine came in that morning and we'd sold out by the end of the day. That's what Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get a chance to even have a look at it. It's the Rihanna one that I love. I meant you just just can't go wrong with Rihanna, Cliff facing white out justified copy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'll let you get back to your deadlines and making sure that the cheese is maturing properly. I've got 96 pages of line endings to do now. You love it. (laughs) I do. I do. (laughs) All right. Well, happy Christmas. Okay, you too. Thanks, Jeremy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So from cheese to chutney, and we welcome a new voice on the podcast now. Many of you will have met Danielle Mustard, our shop manager, either in real life here at the shop or on email, or you might know her through the um, It's This One Thing strand she writes on the journal. But it's a pleasure to welcome her to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you. What are you up to at Christmas? I think we're going to be spending it in London, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, um, spending New Year's in France mm-hmm. uh, with my girlfriend and her her. Her family. So Christmas itself, uh, just the two of you? Again, her mum is meant to be coming over from France to join us in London, but uh, fingers crossed and we'll see uh, see how many PCR tests that's involved. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's the plan. That's the plan. There's a lot of uncertainty Indeed. for us all. Yes. But I hope that all works out. Yes, thank you. And if it does work out, what are you doing? What are you, are you, are you doing a French Christmas the night yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the twenty fourth is their big night. So we're gonna get in some big posh cheeses, which is relevant to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe with, a bit of chutney bit as well. Chutney, yes, yeah, indeed, good, indeed. Good. Um, so yeah, we'll have a big meal on the twenty fourth, hopefully, and then um, we'll do a bit of an English pub thing on the uh, on the twenty fifth on the day. Mm-hmm. And some wine, of course, of course. Just uh, yes, yes, yes. Excellent. You're joining us because you've just been out having a coffee with our colleague, Osman. Yes, indeed. Yes, we popped to a cafe just around the corner uh, to have a little chat about uh, chutney um, and uh, how, how Osman is spending December and, uh, yeah, what the future holds for this uh, gorgeous little mag. And, uh, I mean, that, that was a big event in itself, but, but somebody else turned up in the cafe. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, so we were midway through our chats uh, when uh, Kia Starmer rolled in with a few of his uh, his team. So um, there's a little bit of uh, chortling in the background. That's uh, that's our friend Kia. So uh, fingers crossed it actually, uh, it wasn't too uh, too interrupted. But uh, yeah, celebrity spotting around the corner. So uh, so several celebrities in one spot Indeed, yeah. indeed. Let's pop down the road and hear more about Chutney. I'm with uh, Usman Barry um, at a cafe just around the corner from the Mag Culture Shop. Um, so if you can hear coffees being made in the background, that is, uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, how are you? How are you this morning, Osman? I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. You've got a nice hot chocolate on the go. A Too nice hot to drink. Ho- a nice hot chocolate. I'm waiting for it to cool down, but yeah. Safety first, safety first. So I remember uh, when we first met, it was a few months ago now, but uh, you came into the Michael's shop and pulled out a copy of Chutney. 
and that was the first time I'd seen it. And I remember you shyly handing it over, actually, <laughs> and then me being <laughs> pleasantly surprised uh, at how gorgeous it is. Because you had only been in London for a few weeks up until that point? One week, actually. One week, yeah, wow, one week. okay. Yeah. What had led you up to that point? Well, I had just moved to London uh, to do my master's, actually. Mag culture was like number one on my list of places to visit, obviously being the mecca of magazines. And so, you know, I came in with pretty low expectations. Um, and I think I spent an hour in the shop, like buying different magazines before actually giving you the copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was pretty nervous. I didn't know what to expect. But yeah, I just thought that, hey, you know, I've worked on this magazine for a few years now. Let's give it a shot and see what happens. And yeah, so I shyly, awkwardly handed it over to you. I don't think I even explained what it was. I was just like, this is a magazine. Yeah, Would you like yeah, it? Yeah. I think you were very much like, um, oh, you know, I, I, I have this, uh, this little project of mine in my bank. Uh, maybe, maybe you can take a look and then you put it out and it was uh, a lot more impressive than you uh, kind of let, let on to be. Mm -hmm. I remember... Um, passing that on to, to, to Jeremy and we, we both had a look and, and obviously like fell in love with it straight away and here we are. You spoke at My Culture Live last month in November and uh, you shared a, a really great story about the, the name of Chutney and where that came from. Would you mind sharing it with the, with the podcast listeners? Yeah, of course. So the name Chutney is, originates from a phrase that my mom has always said to me. Uh, in Urdu, which loosely translates to don't make chutney with my brain. So it's obviously quite a grotesque um, and eccentric retort. Um, she, I mean, she, she always said it to me when I was pissing her off, basically. Um, but I mean, beyond that, just the fact that the word chutney could warrant its own cultural idiom, to me, it was really important. Um, and it was a testament to the influence and versatility of the food. Um, so beyond that, you know, chutney has a rich history with roots in the Indian subcontinent, subsequently, you know, colonized by the British. And, yes, uh, yes. you know, now you can find it in your Tesco, Sainsbury, wherever, in like a million different varieties. And I think, you know, it plays a part in different people's lives culturally. And, you know, Chutney's story itself was what really inspired me and is kind of representative of the stories that I hope to share in the magazine. Um, yeah, I think it just it just kind of works. Many people have been like, oh yeah, I love the name Chutney because I think even if you don't know the story, you kind of you kind of get it. It evokes this kind of sense of mixing and flavor. In the magazine as well, you, you have an actual, it's, it's your in your mom's writing in Urdu uh, of the quote itself? Yeah, yeah. So I think on page six or something, I had asked her to like write it out and I just scanned it and popped it in. I, I mean, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously as a tribute to my mom, but it, I think it's important to like have it in its original language yes. as well, because that's kind of the seed of the magazine in many ways. Yeah, definitely. And I mean that, yeah, so many of the stories kind of touch upon that, whether it's in terms of language and the kind of nuances that are lost when you speak um, a language that isn't your mother tongue, or when you're eating foods that maybe are, are made in countries outside of the one you, you grew up in, and the the kind of weird sensation that you have in eating something that's maybe traditional but yeah. is being that, that has lost something or is different to, to its original kind of form. I really love the piece, the the vignettes of Chinese dining and the, the gorgeous illustrations as well. Um, that's beautiful and that, that speaks a little bit about that kind of like dissonance between eating Chinese cuisine in, in Canada, I think. Yeah, in, in Canada versus Hong Kong. Yeah, um, yeah. So Jonas Chin, the, the writer of the piece and the illustrator, 
he grew up in Hong Kong and then moved to Canada and was a bit back and forth. Uh, but yeah, his piece really kind of illustrates the in-between spaces between the two cultures. And there's a bit of like wistful nostalgia in it of like something lost, as you said, when you are eating in, in, outside of a cultural context that you grew up in or you're familiar with. But yeah, I thought it was a beautiful piece both writing and illustration. And that story and, and, and others in particular really reflect the structure of the magazine, which is split up into three different parts. So we have the chop section, followed by mix and then preserve, which is also a really great idea and uh, relates back to, to food as well. And that kind of really reflects the overall thread of the magazine and there's some really, really gorgeous stories around those kind of themes and mixes of culture and those kind of experiences of dissonance. As, as we are talking about food and, and festivity, will you be celebrating anything in December as a, as a family or are there traditions that you have? Um, not in December specifically. Uh, my partner and her family celebrate Christmas, so um, I kind of <laughs> tag along with <laughs> yeah. that. But as for my own family, no, I'll, I'll be seeing them hopefully for a few weeks, but we don't do anything particularly. Yeah. I, ju I just sing Last Christmas around the house all the time, you know? It's, like, it's just it's strictly George Michael related. It's strictly George Michael. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, to be celebrated yeah. at all times. Definitely. Think, right? that's, that's what I always look forward to December, because nice. it's just like... Have it on the Is there a particular celebration that you enjoyed when you were growing up that, that did center around food, or do you have like a favorite or s some memories that kind of like links together with the magazine and uh, food and family? Yeah, well, as a kid, uh, and even now, like we celebrate Eid as a family twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the first Eid always comes after Ramadan, and Ramadan obviously is like a month of abstaining from yeah, food yeah. and drinking. A bit different Other. to the West's idea of uh, Christmas, which is just the opposite. Where <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot. but then like after the month of fasting, like you have this like three-day fest festival or feast with family and friends and the whole community, and you know that's always something I look forward to. And as a kid, uh, there's like a massive tradition about coming together. Everyone brings their own food and like sitting on the ground and like you know makeshift spaces and just mm. like coming together as a community and, and eating. And I think. Yeah, that, that probably on a subconscious level has definitely influenced Chutney. Like, it's not a specific food magazine, but, you know, many of the stories inside are, like, all related to the aspect of food bringing communities together or, you know, traversing divides, cultural divides between different people. As for a favorite food growing up, I don't know. I mean, you know me now. You know I have a sweet tooth, so, uh, you know, the desserts were always great. I always look forward to that. Nice, nice. We have one last question for you. Do you have a, a magazine highlight from 2021? Well, I mean, my culture was kind of the, my culture live was kind of the, the oh please the, the pinnacle for me, uh, the greatest thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, honestly, the event was amazing. It was just great to see like these magazine heroes IRL mm -hmm. and chat to them, and and everyone is super nice, and it was really eye opening just to see how like welcoming people are within the magazine industry yeah, um, yeah. no one's kind of like above everyone else like mm. they're happy to like share their thoughts with you and chat and you know I got a couple of copies uh, autographed by different people so yeah, you know, yeah trying to build my yeah, collection yeah. nice a bit of a fanboy yeah which magazines did you take home from my culture life uh, MacGuffin uh, Kindling uh, Paperboy. Nice. I mean, you know, it's like classics now, right? Yeah, yeah solid, a solid collection. Solid collection. And yeah. Uh, yeah, may it continue to grow, hopefully. Definitely. All right, great. We'll catch up with you soon, no doubt. But thanks again and have a lovely uh, day. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Osman.
After the break, we move on to wine with Dan Keeling, who together with Mark Andrew runs Noble Rock, the magazine wine bar and restaurant. London printers Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. Take a look at the latest issues of Repost, ID, Kinfolk and Port to get a sense of what's possible. Very different magazines, all beautifully produced. As well as helping you achieve the highest creative standards, Park are fully committed to helping you produce your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Check their website for details. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. So Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're here primarily to talk about Noble Rock the magazine, but before that it would be um, wrong of me not to talk about the bigger world of, of Noble Rock. And uh, you, you opened the uh, wine bar about six years ago. Yeah, November 2015. Just a month before we opened the shop, I remember we were sharing, sharing painful stories, stories yeah. of estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> Miserable world of... That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you found your space on Lamb's Conduit Street, and you haven't looked back. It's just been it's just been a roaring success, right? Yeah. So we started the magazine in twenty uh, end of twenty twelve, start of twenty thirteen was the first issue, and within a few months, well, a couple of years, we we soon found out we couldn't make any money at all out of an independent magazine. Had to try and monetize it somewhere, sometime else, some some way else. And then um, we thought about we could do retail. We thought we could, you know, wine retail. We could do uh, we could start a restaurant, and it wasn't something I'd necessarily thought of long before that. But starting a restaurant doesn't strike me as immediately the most. I mean, it sounds a bit like launching a magazine. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be a real struggle to make any money out of it. Yeah, and, and the world is full of people who think, "Oh, I love restaurants. I'm going to launch a restaurant." And yeah, then failing. I don't know if you could name any kind of profession or pastime that you could do without someone telling you you're never going to make a success of it. I remember before we did this, I worked in record labels, and I remember someone, everybody that I talked to, saying, "You'll never get a job as an A and R man." And then even if you do get a job as an A and R man, you'll never sign a successful act. But yeah, restaurant world is littered with <laughs> failed restaurants, yeah, yeah. Uh, such is life. Um, Mark, my business partner, he'd worked in restaurants before, so he'd managed uh, a pub called the William the Fourth, which was kind of a gastro mm-hmm. pub up on Harrow Road. So because he had that background as well, we were, you know, we were thinking, okay, we could we could make a, uh, a noble rock wine bar restaurant, and we'd been really inspired by going on a trip to Paris and seeing places like Clown Bar and Vivant and this kind of new generation of bistros and we, we came back really energised that, that we thought that, you know it's something that we would love to do um, and Stephen Harris is from the Sportsman in Kent he's an amazing genius chef and he's my missus's uh, cousin so he wrote for the first issue of Noble Rock and when we said oh we're thinking of maybe starting a, a wine bar he said well I can help you with that if you want and I think he didn't think it was going to be much work it was kind of <laughs> just tell us who he gets the olives off and the, yeah, uh, yeah. And the ham and stuff but then we found this this, you know, 80-cover restaurant in Bloomsbury. It was called Vats Wine Bar. It had an amazing kind of feel to it. It dates back to 1701. And uh, it was. It used to close at about 5 o'clock on a Friday night and the owners would go down to um, where they lived in uh, Sussex and then come back up on maybe a Monday, Tuesday. So it, was, it wasn't particularly... I, don't, I think they were kind of one foot in retiring anyway. 
and uh, they had this uh, brilliant kind of diverse clientele of like um, ranging from people who had been associates of the craze to lawyers to graphic designers and uh, I think it was more focused on booze than it was eating anything. So they, they had a very loyal clientele and yeah. uh, and it was obviously surviving. How do you end up taking that over? Did they put it on sale? No, it wasn't on sale. We, we'd, um, we'd raised money. We'd, we'd got together an investor's pack and, you know, obviously outlined what we were doing with the magazine and what we wanted to do with the restaurant. And we were looking for a property and we were scouring the streets of London. And most of the time you just find stuff that's completely unsuitable, has, has no character to it at all. And uh, it got to August and we're thinking, you know, there's, there's obviously a, a window when you've got investment that you need to spend your investment, else people might start asking for their share back. So I remember thinking, right, we really need to just kind of walk the streets of London and just look at chance across places. And uh, we'd gone to look at a, another restaurant on Lambs Conduit Street, which was Sigala, which we heard was coming on the market and we heard off of a... Uh, Tom, who we were talking about earlier, who's uh, in one of our interior designers, he mentioned that there's this restaurant that might be coming on the market with crazy paving on the on the wall, and that yes. was Sigala. Yeah, yeah. So we went to see that, and that wasn't coming on the market, but over the road was Vats. So it was a real kind of tentative connection why we even mm -hmm. saw Vats. So I remember looking out the window of Sigala, thinking that looks really interesting. It looks like somewhere in the West Village or something uh -huh, like that. Yeah. So we went over. I said, oh, can we have a look round, you know, under pretext of, uh, you know, my wife has a birthday party coming up and we need a venue. And it just looked beautiful. It looked amazing, full of character. And um, we went home and I wrote a letter straight away. I looked up on, online who the owner was and found them, wrote them a letter, put it in a cab, put them in an Uber with a couple of copies of the magazine, sent it down to the restaurant. And then a couple of hours later, he called back and said, if you're interested, I'm actually in the process of selling to somebody, but if you want to give me an offer, then I'll consider it. So uh, it, was, it was kind of in the, the right timing time, was right. right. Place. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm interested in what you've described makes it seem very simple, and obviously it wasn't simple, but in the end, sort of luck won through. But I'd like to go back to the beginning of the magazine and how you came to be doing the magazine with Mark and how that actually became the bigger thing that it's become. At what point did you think, right, we're going to do a wine magazine? I, I worked at Island Records as managing director from like 2006 to 2009, and that's on this was located on this part of Kensington High Street, which was, you know, it's the, the kind of joining area between Kensington and Hammersmith. There's not a lot there. And next door to Island Records was a shop called Robeson Wine, and Mark was on the counter when, when I started buying uh, wine in there and we used to go in and talk about Burgundy and Loire Valley and stuff and, and we were both getting into wine around the same time. He was a bit further into his kind of infatuation with wine than I was, mm -hmm. hence he was working in the shop. But I'd kind of joined the dots between, you know, music and wine and they're very similar in a lot of ways. You know, if you're, if you're interested in finding, like, first presses of disco records uh -huh. and, like... Um, the collector's side. collector's side, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the kind of intellectual side, as well as the hedonistic side, it kind of features all the similar things. Mm -hmm. So we started hanging out and we started drinking wine after work, going to, like, the local pub and bring a couple of bottles. And we'd egg each other on to kind of drink kind of in, more interesting or, mm -hmm. or rarer things. And after a while, 
I don't know why. We just at the at the end of one kind of uh, dinner, we were kind of thinking, well, why don't we start a magazine to write about wine the way that we talk about it, which is you know in context with music, uh -huh. with food, with lots of other different cultural things, rather than you know the other wine magazines which are rating wines out of 100 points or out of 10 and you know there's no other kind of cultural things in there so that that's why we started the other similarity with music of course is is that sort of star rating thing and that kind of idea that you can have a singular point of view where it all just lines up and this is good and this is bad and this is yeah yeah but but actually it's much more su subjective isn't it it's much more of a yeah and we wanted to talk about the stories behind wine as mm -hmm. well right and the people so the first issue of the magazine mark wrote something about um domain de la romani conti they were a bit trying someone tried to blackmail them this guy went to prison um i can't remember what year it was but you know it was a, it, that was a kind of typical thing that we started off with or i wrote about matching wine and music or and records in the first issue as well. So yeah. we were trying to do it from a, with a bit of a kind of... I remember in, in that issue, you asked the question, what wine should you drink when you're um, listening to Kraftwerk? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was Keller Riesling, yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> so we started off and it was more like a pamphlet, the first issue. And um, I used to write for a magazine called Jockey Slut when I was at um, Manchester Polytechnic and Melody Maker as mm -hmm. well. I just thought that writing about music was a good way to open doors, as well as being, you know, enjoyable in itself. And it certainly proved that because I was able to then, you know, meet people and progress to working in record labels as mm -hmm. an A&R person. So I tried to apply some of the same logic to working in wine and food. I wasn't quite sure what it is that I was going to do or we were going to do, but I knew that by writing about it and... There's a, there's a John Hegarty quote, which is, do interesting things and interesting things will happen to you. And I think that's kind of quite a good mantra for mm -hmm. starting any kind of creative project. Absolutely. Because it, it just leads to other places that you haven't even considered. Yeah, there's just that, there's that sense that if you stick your head above the parapet and say, look, we're doing something here, stuff comes. Yeah. You, you start engaging with a, with a bigger network, a bigger... Um, and, and the way you just described your music career, essentially you applied that to the wine side. So you, you learned about wine, you, you launched a magazine, and that in itself began to open doors yeah, totally. to other worlds. Um, yeah, I think it's true that if you want to be successful in anything, you can't really plot how you're going to end up somewhere, but you, you just do the things that you're really, really interested in and do them passionately and do them mm -hmm. without compromise. And it should lead you, hopefully, with some, if, you know, with a bit of luck or fortune, probably a better word than luck, then it leads to a, to a place that can then take you on to the next thing. But when I was in record labels or signing bands, if, I would never have guessed that I'd have two restaurants in 2021 but I'd also never have guessed there's just been a pandemic. and Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Just drawing those two sides together. I mean, you you do now have two successful restaurants and you've weathered the pandemic. Yeah, well, so far. So let's hope that it's kind of... Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, scare stories aside, it looks like hopefully we can, we can go on and, you know, we hope to do other hospitality things in the future as well. You know, we've got plans... But um, plans uh, can can change. But uh, you know this variant, which is the latest thing, is let's just hope this is a flash in the pan. But you know, 
I think we'll be living with COVID for uh, yeah. quite a few years yet. And for sure, I'm sure for next sure. year there'll be something else that we'll be worrying about. But what can you do? Hospitality's not the greatest uh, line of work to be in during a pandemic. And, you know, if you uh, run a Amazon or you're a banker, it's much better, but... Um, it comes back to what you're saying about passion. Is you know, you know, you either. I mean, if you you know, if you want to make money in this world, you go into the law or banking or whatever. Then, but if you want to really enjoy yourself, you do something that you're passionate about. And if that's wine, if that's magazines, yeah, wine, music, creativity, all those kind of jobs. People get into those jobs because they're they're passionate about it, and there's no point in doing them unless if you're going to compromise all the time, and end up doing something that's kind of creative, but. It's not really your thing kind of it's, it's yeah. soul destroying and uh, you know you can uh, having worked in record labels you can see that there's a lot of compromise um and i'm much happier now having you know we had a great time in record labels at a certain time but it's great to be doing an independent business where you're really your own boss and uh, you know you're in control yeah. of, of something and and I'm interested in the, in the position of the magazine in the sort of bigger ecosystem now because there's the two restaurants you yeah. did a book with Quadrill, yeah, um, and, and of course there's the magazine and you've just opened the bottle shop, the wine shop, yeah. But the magazine is still in the centre of all that. It's still, I mean, you described it earlier as difficult to make money from, but it, it, it's an essential part of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the culture side of things. It's it's trying to draw together this pool of writers and artists and uh, photographers we've got and try and draw them together to, to, to really kind of come up with this, um, this kind of story or reason for people to get excited about what we're excited about and draw other people in. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a culture, it's a, it's a bubble, you know. It's like listening to your favourite album. Um, it always felt like to me that you, the world is outside of that and we want the magazine to have its own kind of ecosystem of, of people and, and, you know, all these these things that Noble Rock represents, whether that's, you know, artisanal wine or humour or, you know, the poppy colours that we use. So it's a, it's a bit of escapism. It's obviously, there's, there's hedonism about going to a restaurant that you like. There's obviously the intellectual side because it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of other much deeper subjects hidden behind that it's really important that it that we do it because it gives us something different to other restaurants and other wine importers and also it's just something that we want want to do so writing is important to us and it's something that i really enjoy and it's just a, a massive pleasure to be able to to put that alongside commissioning great artists around this fabulous subject so if we took that out it would be noble rock would still be hopefully successful but it would be a, a different thing and Mm -hmm. yeah. And, it, and it, do, it does lend a character to the whole project. And you mentioned earlier the the idea of the, you know, the traditional world of, of, of wine coverage and writing and the way it's dealt with. And it, clearly, Noble Rot is very different to that. How would you kind of characterise that difference? In, in, you sort of talk about it in terms of the magazine, but in a broader sense, what are you trying to do with... So there's a few things. Number one is I want people to look at the cover a lot of the time and smile or laugh. I want people to read articles, and not every article, but a lot of articles, and I want them to be entertained and, and feel that it's been fun reading it rather than a bit of a labour reading it. Um, you know, I like stuff with a sense of humour. I, I don't particularly buy magazines that are completely dry and serious, and, um, you know, obviously there's very serious topics in the magazine, but I hopefully we can deal with them with a little bit of kind of, you know... 
bit of a light touch. So um, there's that. Always want a couple of takeaways from an article as well. Like if someone's reading about, for example, uh, I wrote about Burgundy's newest domains in the latest issue. I want people to come away and think, right, well, now I've kind of learned mm -hmm. some more about that and apply it to, to, to mm -hmm. trying the wines themselves. So That's the important balance, isn't it? So it's, it's you know, still sort of sharing and explaining in the sense of, of all wine coverage wishes to in the sense that all wine coverage wishes to do, but you're doing it with a different humour and a different Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Humour, fun, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of... And, and for me, the centrepiece of that whole idea is is the uh, lunch that you do every issue. Yeah. Where you, where you take somebody to lunch and you have a long discursive discussion with them uh, over a few... Uh, it always feels like a, a good selection of wines and... <laughs> yeah, that normally softens people up, a few yeah. bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you can talk about things you don't normally mm -hmm. wouldn't... That they would be too guarded to talk about. So, give us a good example of, of someone you took out for a lunch like that. And um, well, in the latest issue, we got Irvin Welsh, which was great. And you know, Irvin likes wine, and you know, he comes into Noble Rot, and I know he likes Albarino, but yeah. I didn't really know much more than that. So, we we, we drank some pretty obscure wines. We drank a, a, a Madeira that was 150 years old because that's a bit of a, mm -hmm. a, a talking point. And then talked about everything from, you know, Brexit's kind of effect on British uh, food culture to, you know, what's stuff like what, what's the closest you've come to death, for example. And uh -huh. just, just it's not just about wine, it's about life generally. And in the next issue of the magazine, we've got Professor Brian Cox, which is really interesting who can explain um, how a black hole works but couldn't remember any of the Mersopa juices that he liked, but we let him <laughs> off that. Um, we've got John Cooper Clark that Suzanne Moore did an interview mm -hmm. with and that started at 12 o'clock at Noble Rock one day. I think it ended up about 12 hours later, so it's good to see that he's still kind of keeping on, keeping on at 72 he's not an years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's hope for us all. Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, those are two most recent mm -hmm. ones, or three most recent ones. Um, but yeah, we've got more planned. Talking celebrations, Christmas is coming up. Yeah. First of all, how are you celebrating Christmas? Where are you going to be? So I'll be at home. I think I'm going to do Cape On this year. And that's year. in London, right? Yeah, yeah, in London, in Queen's Park. I think I normally do... Cape On? Yeah, mm -hmm. I normally do beef, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but this year I'm going to go for a Cape On and uh, do a kind of Italian stuffed mm -hmm. Cape On recipe. And have you always been interested in cooking or is this something that the restaurant has brought out in you? I became interested in it once I left Island Records uh, and had a bit of free time. I had uh -huh. to... <laughs> so, so, so um, yeah, I learned to cook then by reading Simon Hopkinson books uh -huh. and stuff and going to Waitrose at lunchtime and picking up all the stuff and cooking dinner. But no, really interested in cooking, yeah. So um, a cape on and then, I mean, I dare say you'll open at least one bottle of wine. Well, yeah, I've got my eyes on a on a magnum of Burgundy at the moment, a, mm -hmm. a Nuit Saint-Georges by uh -huh. a producer called Gérard Mounerey. That sounds very, very specific. Yeah. When you say you've got your eyes on, is this, I mean, you're, 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 you're considering it, you you have it in your, wow. do, you, do you have a, a, a cellar, do you have your own collection? Uh, yeah, I do, I do, uh -huh. but it's sitting under my desk at work, so that's okay. why I've got my eyes on it. Right, okay. you've literally got your eyes <laughs> <Yeah>. on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, maybe a yeah, nice Burgundy with, uh, with a cape on, I think, mm -hmm. will be just the ticket. One final question, looking back on the year. You know, obviously your interest spans way beyond just magazines into all the other spheres we've talked about, but are there any particular magazines or, or magazine-related events that have, have been a highlight for you this year? Well, I, I think um, 
this this new magazine Disco Pogo, which is mm-hmm. the the two founders of uh, Jockey Slap, Paul and Jono. They've just done a, a crowdfunding. Uh, campaign that's been really successful just this week. So uh, I'm excited to see what they'll come up with because back in like the early to mid 90s, that's who I used to write for. They had an office in uh, above a club uh, called Sankey Soap in Ancoats in Manchester, and that magazine. I think that was um, definitely been an influence on what Noble Rock became, along with other things that we're into at the time, like Viz and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But but they definitely had this kind of sense of humour. Uh, that they were applying to electronic music at the time. So I think they were the first people to write about Daft Punk and Chemical Brothers and Andy Weatherall. So so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what, what Disco Pogo will be like. Um, and then I'm a fan of Fool magazine. Uh, I just think it just looks so beautiful. Like The, the design of it is... So that's is the cool. food magazine from Sweden. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is, that, is that still happening? Is that still... I'm not sure. I think they had. I think they maybe become less regular. The mm-hmm. last issue was is about, and it's become more like a book, so more pages, yeah. bigger binding. So I think maybe they're doing it a little less frequently. But that was about Japan, Japanese food and restaurants, which is really fascinating. So I really like those. Looking ahead at the new year, um, what's what's going to be happening at Noble Rock? Um, well, we've got ideas of stuff we'd like to do. There's, um, we, we'd like to do a, another restaurant or a casual wine bar, but uh, it wouldn't be called Noble Rot. So we think we've found a site for it, but you never know. There's always competition for, for good sites in London. So I think uh, we might be back out traipsing the streets trying to find another VATS. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, just cracking on with the next issue of the magazine, um, but yeah, that'd be the main two things. The shop's going really well. Shrine to the Vine in Lamb's Conduit Street, and then it's, do we, what, how do we develop that as well? You know, we, we think we could do another shop. Maybe we could do one in West London, do one in South London, but we're not sure. So there's lots of opportunities and lots of things we're excited about doing. And like you say, there's always something that we need to be doing to kind of as a new project, but. Um, yeah, it will, remains to be seen. Let's hope we can get through the rest of the year and early next year without yes, well, the rea- any yeah. more nastiness. But back to reality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, well, thank you for joining us and uh, good luck with getting through the next few months and into the new year. Cheers, Jeremy. That brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks to all three guests for joining us. Thank you for listening. Don't forget you can still donate money to Shelter from the Storm via magculture.com. Otherwise, enjoy your Christmas break and I wish you lots of cheese, chutney and wine. See you in 2022.